Chapter 18 of She and Alan. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. She and Alan by H. Rider Haggard. Chapter 18 The Slaying of Rezu. At last we were on the plain the bemused remnant of Rezu's armor still doubling before us like a mob of game pursued by wild dogs. Here we halted to reform our ranks. It seemed to me, although still she spoke no word, that some order reached me from the gleaming Asha that I should do this. The business took twenty minutes or so, and then, numbering about two thousand five hundred strong, for the rest had fallen in the fight of the square, we advanced again. Now there came that dusk which often precedes the rising of the sun, and through it I could see that the battle was not yet over, since gathered in front of us was still a force about equal to our own. Asha pointed towards it with her wand, and we leapt forward to the attack. Here the men of Reza stood awaiting us, for they seemed to overcome their terror with the approach of day. The battle was fierce, a very strange battle in that dim, uncertain light, which scarcely showed us friend from foe. Indeed, I am not sure that we should have won it, since Asha was no longer visible to give our Amahagar confidence. And as the courage of the Rezuites increased, so theirs seemed to lessen with the passing of the night. Fortunately, however, just as the issue hung doubtful, there was a shout to our left, and looking, I made out the tall shape of Goroko, the witch-doctor, with the other Zulu, followed by his two hundred and fifty men, and leaping on to the flank of the line of Rezu. That settled the business. The enemy crumpled up and melted, and just then the first lights of dawn appeared in the sky. I looked about me for Asha, but she had gone. Where to I knew not, though at the moment I feared that she must have been killed in the melee. Then I gave up looking and thinking, since now or never was the time for action. Signalling and shouting to those hatchet-faced Amahagar to advance, accompanied by Umslopogas with Groko who had joined us and Hans, I sprang forward to give them an example, which to be just to them, they took. This is the mound on which Redbeard should be, cried Hans as we faced a little slope. I ran up it, and through the gloom which precedes the actual dawn, saw a group of men gathered round something as people collect about a street accident. Red beard on the stone! They are killing him! screeched Hans again. It was so. At least several white-robed priests were bending over a prostrate figure with knives in their hands, while behind stood the huge fellow whom I took to be Rezo, staring towards the east as though he were waiting for the rim of the sun to appear before he gave some order. At that very moment it did appear, just a thin edge of bright light on the horizon, and he turned, shouting the order. Too late, for we were on them. Umslopogas cut down one of the priests with his axe, and the men about me dealt with the others, while Hans, with a couple of sweeps of his long knife, severed the cords with which Robertson was tied. The poor man, who in the growing light I could see was raving mad, sprang up, calling out something in Scotch about the Dale, 
seizing a great spear which had fallen from the hand of one of the priests he rushed furiously at the giant who had given the order and with a yell drove it at his heart i saw the spear snap from which i concluded that this man whom rightly i took to be rezu wore some kind of armor next instant the axe he held a great weapon flashed aloft and down went robertson before its awful stroke stone dead for as we found out afterwards he was cloven almost in two at the sight of the death of my poor friend rage took hold of me in my hand was a double-barreled rifle an express loaded with hollow-pointed bullets i covered the giant and let drive first with one barrel and then with the other and what is more distinctly i heard both bullets strike upon him yet he did not fall he rocked a little that is all then turned and marched off towards a hut that whereof hans had told me which stood about fifty yards away leave him to me shouted umslopogaas steel cuts where bullets cannot pierce and with a bound like that of a buck the great zulu leapt away after him i think that rezu meant to enter the hut for some purpose of his own but umslopogaas was too hard upon his tracks at any rate he ran past it and down the other slope of the little hill on to the plain behind where the remnants of his army were trying to reform there in front of them the giant turned and stood at bay umslopogaas halted also waiting for us to come up since cunning old warrior as he was he feared lest should he begin the fight before that happened the horde of them would fall on him thirty seconds later we arrived and found him standing still with bent body small shield advanced and the great axe raised as though in the act of striking a wondrous picture outlined as it was against the swiftly rising sun some ten paces away stood the giant leaning on the axe he bore which was not unlike to that with which woodmen fell big trees he was an evil man to see and at this my first full sight of him i likened him in my mind to goliah whom david overthrew huge he was and hairy with deep-set piercing eyes and a great hooked nose his face seemed thin and ancient also when with the motion of the great head he tossed his long locks back from about it but his limbs were those of a hercules and his movements full of a youthful vigour moreover his aspect as a whole was that of a devil rather than of a man indeed the sight of it sickened me let me shoot him i cried to umslopogaas for i had reloaded the rifle as i ran nay watcher by night answered the zulu without moving his head rifle has had its chance and failed now let us see what axe can do if i cannot kill this man i will be born hence feet first who shall have made a long journey for nothing then the giant began to talk in a low rumbling voice that reverberated from the slope of the little hill behind us who are you he asked speaking in the same tongue that the amahagger used who dare to come face to face with rezu black hound 
Do you not know that I cannot be slain, who have lived a year for every week of your life's days, and set my foot upon the necks of men by thousands? Have you not seen the spear shatter and the iron balls melt upon my breast like raindrops? And would you try to bring me down with that toy you carry? My arm is defeated. I know it. But what matters that when I can get me more? Because the sacrifice was not completed and the White Queen was not wed, therefore my army was defeated by the magic of Lulala, the White Witch, who dwells in the tombs. But I am not defeated, who cannot be slain until I show my back. And then, only by a certain axe which long ago has rusted into dust. Now of this long speech, Umslopogaas understood nothing, so I answered for him briefly enough, but to the point, for there flashed into my mind all Asha's tale about an axe. A certain axe, I cried. Aye, a certain axe. Well, look at that which is held by the black one, the captain who is named Slaughterer, the ancient axe whose title is Chieftainess, because, if so she wills, she takes the lives of all. Look at it well, Rezu, giant and wizard, and say whether it is not that which your forefather lost, that which is destined to bring you to your doom. Thus I spoke very loudly, that all might hear, slowly also, pausing between each word, because I wished to give time for the light to strengthen, seeing, as I did, that the rays of the rising sun struck upon the face of the giant, whereas the eyes of Umslopogaas were less dazzled by it. Rezo heard and stared at the axe which Umslopogaas held aloft, causing it to quiver slightly by an imperceptible motion of his arm. As he stared, I saw his hideous face change, and that on it for the first time gathered a look of something resembling fear. Also his followers behind him, who were also studying the axe, began to murmur together. For here I should say that as though by common consent the battle had been stayed, we no longer attacked, and the enemy no longer ran. They, or those who were left of them, stood still as though they felt that their all and ultimate issue of the fight depended upon the forthcoming duel between these two champions, though of that issue they had little doubt, since, as I learned afterwards, they believed their king to be invulnerable. For quite a while Rezu went on staring. Then he said aloud, as if he were thinking to himself, It is very like. The horn haft is the same. The pointed gauche is the same. The blade shaped like the young moon is the same. Almost could I think that before me shook the ancient holy axe. Nay, the gods have taken that back long ago, and this is but a trick of the witch, Lual of the caves. Thus he spoke, but still for a moment hesitated. Umslopogas, I said in the deep silence that followed, 
hear me. I hear you, he answered without turning his head or moving his arms. What counsel, watcher by night? This slaughterer, strike not at that man's face and breast, for there I think he is protected by witchcraft or by armor. Get behind him and strike at his back. Do you understand? Nay, Makumasan, I understand not. Yet I will do your bidding, because you are wiser than I, and utter no empty words. Now be still. Then Umslopogaas threw the axe into the air and caught it as it fell, and as he did so he began to chant his own praises, Zulu fashion. Oh, he said, I am the child of the lion, the black-maned lion whose claws never loosened of their prey. I am the wolf-king, he who hunted with the wolves upon the witch-mountain, with my brother, bearer of the club, named watcher of the fords. I am he who slew him, called the unconquered, chief of the people of the axe, he who bore the ancient axe before me. I am he who smote the Halakazi tribe in their caves, and won me Nada the lily to wife. I am he who took the king Dingan, a gift that he loved little, and afterward with Mopo, my foster sire, hurled this Dingan down to death. I am the royal one, named Bulalio the slaughterer, named Woodpecker, named Umlopekasi the captain, before whom never yet man has stood in fair and open fight. Now, thou wizard Rezu, now, thou giant, now, thou ghost-man, come on against me, and before the sun has risen by a hand's breadth, all those who watch shall see which of us is better at the game of war. Come on, then, come on, for I say that my blood boils over and my feet grow cold. Come on, thou grinning dog, thou monster grown fat with eating the flesh of men, thou hook-beaked vulture, thou old grey-whiskered wolf. Thus he changed in his fierce boastful way, while his two remaining Zulus clapped their hands and sentence by sentence echoed his words, and Goroko, the witch-doctor, muttered incantations behind him. While he sang thus, Umslopogaas began to stir. First only his head and shoulders moved gently, swaying from side to side like a reed shaken in the wind or a snake about to strike. Then slowly he put out first one foot and next the other and drew them back again, as a dancer might do, tempting Rezu to attack. But the giant would not. His shield held before him, he stood still and waited to see what this black warrior would do. The snake struck. Umslopoga started in and let drive with the long axe. Rezo raised his shield above his head and caught the blow. From the clank it made, I knew that this shield, which seemed to be of hide, was lined with iron. Rezo smote back, but before the blow could fall, the Zulu was out of his reach. This taught me how great was the giant's strength, 
for though the stroke was heavy like the steel-hatted axe he bore, still, when he saw that it had missed, he checked the weapon in mid-air, which only a mighty man could have done. Umslopoga saw these things also, and changed his tactics. His axe was six or eight inches longer in the haft than that of Rezu, and therefore he could reach where Rezu could not, for the giant was short-armed. He twisted it round in his hand so that the moon-shaped blade was uppermost, and keeping it almost at full length began to peck with a gauze-shaped point on the back at the head and the arms of Rezu, that, as I knew, was a favourite trick of his in fight, from which he won his name of Woodpecker. Rezu defended his head with his shield as best he could, against the sharp points of steel which flashed all about him. Twice it seemed to me that the Zulu's pecks went home upon the giant's breast, but if so, they did no harm. Either Rezu's thick beard or armor beneath it stopped them from penetrating his body. Still he roared out as though with pain or fury or both, and growing mad, charged at Umslopogas and smote with all his strength. The Zulu caught the blow upon his shield, through which it shore as though the tough hide were paper. Stay the stroke it could not, yet it turned its direction so that the falling axe slid past Umslopoga's shoulder, doing him no hurt. Next instant, before Rezu could strike again, the Zulu threw the severed shield into his face, and seizing the axe with both hands, leapt in and struck. It was a mighty blow, for I saw the rhinoceros horn handle of the famous axe bend like a drawn bow, and it went home with a dull thud full upon Rezo's breast. He shook, but no more. Evidently the razor edge of Inkosikas had failed to pierce. There was a sound as though a hollow tree had been smitten, and some strands of the long beard, shorn off, fell to the ground. But that was all. Takati! bewitched cried the watching zulus that stroke should have cut him in two while i thought to myself that this man knew how to make good armour rezu laughed aloud a bellowing kind of laugh while umslopoga sprang back astonished is this thus he cried in zulu well all wizards have some door by which their spirit enters and departs i must find the door i must find the door so he spoke and with the springing movements tried to get past rezu first to the right and then to the left all the while keeping out of reach but rezu ever turned and faced him as he did so retreating step by step down the slope of the little hill and striking whenever he found a chance but without avail for always umslopogas was beyond his reach also the sunlight which now grew strong dazzled him or so i thought moreover he seemed to tire somewhat or so i thought also at any rate he determined to make an end of the play for with a swift motion, as Umslopogas had done, he threw away his shield, and grasping the iron handle of his axe with both hands, charged the Zulu like a bull. Umslopogas leapt back out of reach. Then suddenly he turned and ran up the rise. Yes, Bulalio, the slaughterer, ran. A roar of mockery went up from the sun-worshippers behind while our amahagger laughed and goroko and the two zulus stared astonished and ashamed only i read his mind aright 
and wondered what guile he had conceived. He ran and Rezu ran after him, but never could he catch the swiftest-footed man in Zululand. To and fro he followed him, for Umslopogaas was taking a zigzag path towards the crest of the slope, till at length Rezu stopped breathless. But Umslopogaas still ran another twenty yards or so, until he reached the top of the slope, and there halted and wheeled round. For ten seconds or more he stood drawing his breath in great gasps, and looking at his face I saw that it had become as the face of a wolf. His lips were drawn up into a terrible grin, showing the white teeth between. His cheeks seemed to have fallen in, and his eyes glared, while the skin over the hole in his forehead beat up and down. There he stood gathering himself together for one mighty effort. "'Run on!' shouted the spectators. "'Run back to Kor, black dog!' Umslopogas knew that they were mocking him, but he took no heed only bent down and rubbed his sweating hand in the grit of the dry earth. Then he straightened himself and charged down on Rezu. I, Alan Quatermain, have seen many things in battle, but never before or since did I see aught like to this charge. It was swift as that of a lioness, so swift that the Zulu's feet scarcely seemed to touch the ground. On he sped like a thrown spear, till, when within about a dozen feet of Rezu, who stood staring at him, he bent his frame almost double and leapt into the air. Oh, what a leap was that! Surely he must have learnt it from the lion or the springbuck. High he rose, and now I saw his purpose. It was to clear the tall shape of Rezu. I and he cleared him with half a foot to spare, and as he passed above, smote downwards with the axe so that the blow fell upon the back of Rezu's head. Moreover, it went home this time, for I saw the red blood stream, and Rezu fell forward on his face. Umslopogas landed far beyond him, ran a little way because he must, then wheeled round and charged again. Rezu was rising, but before he gained his feet the axe, Inkosikas, thundered down where the neck joins the shoulder and sank in. Still, so great was his strength that Rezu found his feet and smote out wildly, but now his movements were slow and again Umslopogas got behind him, smiting at his back. Once, twice, thrice he smote, and at the third blow it seemed as though the massive spine was severed for his weapon fell from Rezu's hand, and slowly he sank down to the ground, and lay there a huddled heap. Believing that all was over, I ran to where he lay, with Umslopogaas standing over him, as it seemed to me utterly exhausted, for he supported himself by the axe and tottered upon his feet. But Rezu was not yet dead. He opened his cavernous eyes and glared at the Zulu with a look of hellish hate. "'Thou hast not conquered me, black one,' he gasped. "'It is thine axe which gave thee victory, the ancient holy axe that once was mine until the woman stole it. Yes, that and the craft of the witch of the caves. 
who told thee to smite where the spirit of life, which I fear to enter folly, had not kissed my flesh, and there only left me mortal. Wolf of a black man, may we meet elsewhere and fight this fray again. Ah, would that I could get these hands about thy throat and take thee with me down into the darkness. But Luala wins, if only for a while, since her fate, I think, shall be worse than mine. Ah, I see the magic beauty that she both turned to shameful. Here of a sudden life left him, and throwing his great arms wide, a last breath passed bubbling from his lips. As I stooped to examine the man's huge and hairy carcass, that to me looked only half human, with the thunder of feet, our Amahaga rushed down upon us, and thrusting me aside, fell upon the body of their ancient foe, like hounds upon a helpless fox, and with hands and spears and knives, literally tore and hacked it limb from limb, till no semblance of humanity remained. It was impossible to stop them. Indeed, I was too outworn with labors and emotions to make any such attempt. This I regret the more, since I lost the opportunity of making an examination of the body of this troll-like man, and of ascertaining what kind of armor it was he wore beneath that great beard of his, which was strong enough to stop my bullets, and even the razor-edge of the axe Inkosikas, driven with all the might of the arms of the Sulu Bolalio. For when I looked again at the sickening sight, the giant was but scattered fragments, and the armor, whatever it might have been, was gone, rent to little pieces and carried off, doubtless by the Amahagger, perhaps to be divided between them to serve as charms. So of Rezo I know only that he was the hugest, most terrible-looking man I have ever seen, one, too, who carried his vast strength very late in life, since from the aspect of his countenance I imagine that he must have been nigh upon seventy years of age, though his supposed unnatural antiquity of course was nothing but a fable put about by the natives for their own purposes. Presently Umslopogaas seemed to recover from the kind of faint into which he had fallen, and opening his eyes looked about him. The first person that fell on was old Bilali, who stood stroking his white beard and contemplating the scene with an air which was at once philosophic and satisfied. This seemed to anger Umslopokas, for he cried, I think it was you, ancient bag of words, and sweeper of paths for the feet of the great, who made a mock of me, but now, when you thought that I fled before the horns of yonder man-eating bull, and he nodded towards the fragments of what once had been Rezu, find now his axe, and though I am weak and weary, I will wash away the insight with your blood. What does this glorious black hero say, watcher by night? asked Bilali in his most courteous tones. I told him word by word, whereon Bilali lifted his hands in horror, turned and fled, 
nor did I see him again until we arrived at Kor. At the sight of the fall of their giant chief Rezu, whom they believed to be invulnerable, his followers, who were watching the fray, set up a great wailing, a most mournful and uncanny noise to hear. Then, as I think did the host of the Philistines, when David brought down Goliath by his admirable shot with a stone, they set out for their homes, wherever these may have been, at an absolute record pace, and in the completest disarray. Our Amahager followed them for a while, but soon were left standing still, so they contented themselves with killing any wounded they could find, and returned. I did not accompany them. Indeed, the battle being won, metaphorically I washed my hands of them, and in my thoughts consigned them to a certain locality, as a people of whom it might well be said that manners they had none, and their customs were simply beastly. Also, although fierce and cruel, these night-bats were not good fighting men, and in short never did I wish to have to do with such another company. Moreover, a very different matter pressed. The object of this business, so far as I was concerned, had been to rescue poor Enos, since had it not been for her sake, never would I have consented to lead those Amahager against their fellow blackguards, the Resuites. But where was Enos? If Hans had understood the medicine man aright, she was or had been in the hut, where it was my earnest hope that she still remained, since otherwise the hunt must be continued. This, at any rate, was easy to discover. Calling Hans, who was amusing himself by taking long shots at the flying enemy, so that they might not forget him, as he said, and the Zulus, I walked up the slope to the hut, or rather booth of boughs, for it was quite twenty feet long by twelve or fifteen broad. At its eastern end was a doorway or opening, closed with a heavy curtain. Here I paused full of tremors and listened, for to tell the truth I dreaded to draw that curtain, fearing what I might see within. Gathering up my courage at length, I tore it aside, and, a revolver in my hand, looked in. At first, after the strong light without, for the sun was now well up, I could see nothing, since those green boughs and palm leaves were very close woven. As my eyes grew accustomed to the gloom, however, I perceived a glittering object seating on a kind of throne at the end of the booth, while in a double row in front knelt six white-robed women who seemed to wear chains about their necks and carried large knives slung round their middles. On the floor between these women and the throne lay a dead man, a priest of some sort, as I gathered from his garb who still held a huge spear in his hand. So silent were the figure on the throne and those that knelt before it, that at first I thought that all of them must be dead. Lady Sad Eyes, whispered Hans, and her bride women. Doubtless that old predicant came to kill her when he saw that the battle was lost, but the bride women killed him with their knives. Here I may state that Hans' suppositions proved to be quite correct, which shows how quick and deductive was his mind. The figure on the throne was Enos. The priest, in his disappointed rage, 
had come to kill her, and the bride women had killed him with their knives before he could do so. I bade the Zulus tear down the curtain and pull away some of the end bows so as to let in more light. Then we advanced up the place, holding our pistols and spears in readiness. The kneeling women turned their heads to look at us, and I saw that they were all young and handsome in their fashion, although fierce-faced. Also I saw their hands go to the knives they wore. I called to them to let these be and come out, and that if they did so they had nothing to fear. But if they understood, they did not heed my words. On the contrary, while Hans and I covered them with our pistols, fearing lest they should stab the person on the throne whom we took to be Enos, at some word from one of them they bowed simultaneously towards her then at another word suddenly they drew their knives and plunged them into their own hearts it was a dreadful sight and one of which i never saw the like nor to this day do i know why the deed was done unless perhaps the women were sworn to the service of the new queen and feared that if they failed to protect her they would be doomed to some awful end. At any rate we got them out dead or dying, for their blows had been strong and true, and not one of them lived for more than a few minutes. Then I advanced to the figure on the throne, or rather footstool chair of black wood, inlaid with ivory, which sat so silent and motionless that I was certain it was that of a dead woman, especially when I perceived that she was fastened to the chair with leather straps, which were soon over with gold wire. Also she was veiled and, with one exception, made up, if I may use the term, exactly to resemble the Lady Asha, even down to the two long plaits of black hair, each finished with some kind of pearl, and to the sandaled feet. The exception was that about her hung a great necklace of gold ornaments, from which were suspended pendants also of gold, representing the rayed disk of the sun, in rude but bold and striking workmanship. I went to her, and having cut the straps, since I could not stop to untie her knots, lifted the veil. Beneath it was Enos sure enough, and Enos living, for her breast rose and fell as she breathed. But Enos senseless. Her eyes were wide open, yet she was quite senseless. Probably she had been drugged, or perhaps some of the sights of horror which she saw had taken away her mind. I confess that I was glad that this was so, who otherwise must have told her the dreadful story of her father's end. We bore her out and away from that horrible place, apparently quite unhurt, and laid her under the shadow of a tree till a litter could be produced. I could do no more, who knew not how to treat her state, and had no spirits with me to pour down her throat. This was the end of our long pursuit, and thus we rescued Enos, whom the Zulus called the Lady Sad Eyes. End of chapter 18 of She and Alan by H. Ryder Haggard Read by Lars Rolander